Tanara Kalem. I'm the audience engagement coordinator at Fringe Arts. We invite you to pour one up and enjoy our conversations with some of the most imaginative people on this plane of existence. On this episode, we're talking to our incredibly imaginative artistic producers here at Fringe Arts, Zach Blackwood and Katie Dammers. Zach and Katie are the ones who curate the great work we get to see year-round and at the Fringe Festival, which showcases the arts of not only a variety of genres that work outside of the mainstream, but also shows off the talent powerhouse that is the city of Philadelphia. We're going to talk about their process um, in their curation for this year and what they're excited about this season. Hello, Katie and Zach. Hello. Hello. I imagine this is going to be a great conversation. We're excited to be back on the podcast. So first question we have to ask, what are we all drinking? Um, I'm drinking a certain uh, Brooklyn-based uh, cold brew brand that you can purchase, and I'm not going to name them because they don't, they don't pay me. That's true. Um, but I, have, <laughs> I, I drink the espresso coffee one, which probably can zero you in. And uh, for a few weeks I was drinking it didn't know it was a concentrate. Oh no! <laughs> so did you? Were you just off your rocker? No more than usual. <laughs> I was deeply productive. I was deeply productive. I'll say that. Katie, what are you drinking? I'm drinking water, as I usually am in the morning. Great. I'm also drinking water. I'm having hot chocolate. What? Great. That's a power Great. move. <laughs> High luxury. <laughs> oh my goodness. Brought from home. So we, the last time the four of us were in the same room together doing this podcast was episode 16 of last season. Yeah, no, it's not impossible. That was yeah, the last we're time. on season three. Yeah. It was our Christmas episode where we were like, this is who we are. Yeah. Welcome. So remind us, for those of our listeners who are new, remind us of your background and how long you've been working at Fringe. My background. I uh, grew up in Florida, <laughs> in like Central Florida. We're gonna skip ahead now. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I first started working for the Fringe in 2013 uh, with Tara Demi uh, and Jordan Lehman, and we had a really, really fantastic time actually working. That was another time that we presented a piece by an artist that we'll talk about. A few artists that we'll talk about actually uh, later. Um, and there I was mostly doing, um, work on independent fringe at that time. So, uh, at that time it was called the neighborhood fringe, uh, but I was working with independent artists a lot. And then, uh, I was working at the Kimmel kind of before that and after that for a long period of time, working a lot on Pifa and Broadway Philadelphia stuff. And, um, yeah, I came back to, uh, fringe full time in April of 2017. Wow. I am newer to fringe. So I've been at fringe for about... I would say almost 10 months now, so it's not even quite a year, but it's been a very full 10 months. And before I was at Fringe, I was living in New York City, and I was a curator at The Kitchen, which is a nonprofit performing arts center and gallery space that's known as one of the most innovative and oldest alternative spaces in New York. So it's not a museum, it's not a gallery, it's a place for artists to create new innovative work across a variety of disciplines. And The Kitchen and Fringe have definitely collaborated in the past and shared artists. Um, so actually, the first Fringe Festival that I worked on 
maybe three weeks after I got here, so not in a curatorial capacity, more of a facilitating capacity. Um, there was a show by Triangle and Carol that actually went from Fringe Arts to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So oh, cool. we continue to have that collaborative relationship, but I'm thrilled to be in Philly and working at Fringe now. Well, let's dive in. I mean, so we're curious about the process that you guys go through in selecting works for the festival. Thinking about who approaches who, um, how do you guys as a team uh, figure out who you want to bring in, um, and like, what is that discussion like if there's disagreement, or you know, mm -hmm. do you lean on one another's judgment if you haven't both seen the show? All of those questions. Hmm. Yeah, I think one person who's not in the room who I just want to name, who is often part of these discussions, is Nick Stuccio, our executive director and producing director here at Fringe. And founder of the Fringe Festival and in Philadelphia. Notably. Um, so Nick works with Zach and I to shape the festival. And Zach and I do the majority of the programming, but we do curate by consensus. So there are a whole host of different ways an artist is chosen. Sometimes they come to us, sometimes we go to them. Sometimes it's a relationship that's decades long. Sometimes it's a new relationship that's based off of us meeting somebody for the first time. It's a whole variety of different things, which also then affects the scale of the work and knowing how long is the presentation while they're here at Fringe, mm -hmm. how much support are we giving them and in what ways. There's a really a wide variety of scales. Yeah, I think um, with some of these, uh, the relationship with this particular engagement goes back a few years, mm -hmm. and with some of these, it goes back 10 months, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just interesting kind of to look at, um, at as kind of uh, people move into and out of the French arts orbit, kind of they bring new relationships with them, mm -hmm. um, and it all kind of gets mixed together in this way. And I think, yeah, we were talking a little bit right before we started recording about um, there are so many more artists that I think all of us would like to present. Um, and it really does become about who we all completely agree on to a certain degree mm -hmm. and um, how how we're thinking about them all in conversation with each other as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's I'm going to shout out another podcast, sorry, but there's a really actually great episode of... Uh, uh, OK Radio, the Nature Theater of Oklahoma podcast, where an artist uh, straight up asks Philip Byther. Um, Who is that? Philip Byther from uh, Minneapolis. He's another amazing, amazing curator. Got it. Um, he works at the Walker Art Center. Great. Yeah. Thank you. We have collaborated with so many times and are collaborating with again this fall. Exactly. On, yeah, um, with the work by that same artist. But it's very interesting because uh, they ask him straight up, like, uh, like what what did it take for you to finally bring our show here? And it's really it's interesting. It's it's you all the intersections. It's very um, the meme of Charlie Day with the red yeah, with the yeah red absolutely. The that is very much how you actually get there because there's a question mm -hmm. of availability. There's a question of scale of afford like uh, kind of what support you're able to provide. All of those things kind of have to the planets have to align to a certain degree mm -hmm. to like get any single show here, mm -hmm. and then also the curatorial part of the kind of uh, the matchmaking of how these things all fit together, what the kind of collage of that festival then looks like, but yeah, I don't know, it's uh, it's magic, it's witchcraft, yeah, that's it, what we do. It certainly feels that way, you know, because we are always starting from a curatorial standpoint mm -hmm. where we care about the work that the artist is doing, mm -hmm. we're interested in building a relationship, we're curious about the thematic or the particular subject of that given work within an artist's broader lifetime of creation. Mm -hmm. And then there are lots of logistic things that are not sexy and not interesting, but like deeply important around visas. You know, are we able to even get them into this country? 
what are the costs of this particular production. A lot of that also comes down to partnerships. You know, mm-hmm. If we're bringing an international artist in, as we are with NAP, this Slovenian dance company for the piece The Pursuit of Happiness, we frankly wouldn't be able to do that unless we had the partnership with the Walker Art Center to mm-hmm. share costs in terms of mm-hmm. travel and freight and visa preparation. And then you have to think about just scheduling. Like right. honestly, that is one of the hardest things is that we can decide all day. We could curate for you probably 30 fringe festivals, but to have one that actually works does feel like a miracle mm-hmm. where the artist schedule aligns with mm-hmm. the venue that we'd like to put them in here with the support that we're able to get with the staff that we need from production and otherwise to support it. There's a lot of moving pieces. So that's frankly, like some of these shows get put on a boat that then comes across the Atlantic Ocean. Over a period of multiple months. Yes. Like, quite frankly, we put the freight that is currently in Japan on a boat, like, yesterday or this morning, and it is slowly going to make its way to San Francisco and then get driven to Minneapolis, so it'll be there the second week of September, and then it'll get driven by a very generous person at the Walker Art Center. Shouts to you. Shouts to you, Doug. Um, All the way from Minneapolis. Philadelphia. So somebody is, there's a single individual not from a company or an institution that is, that is like, driving. to make this possible, I will drive yeah. the freight yeah. to Philadelphia. And that is what we do. We have to make creative solutions because we are paying a freight company a whole arm and a leg to put it on a ship, which right. is actually much cheaper than, say, putting it on a plane okay. to get it to come all the way around the world. And yet it's still enormously expensive, even though we do lots of fundraising and lots of partnership and creative cost cutting. And so that's one of the things we talked about as a team, is I was like, you know, when I've done this before, you put it in a U-Haul and drive it across the country, that's going to be much cheaper than us hiring a freight right. company. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to do. Wow. So that is like the not as exciting part, but also the equally important part of our mm-hmm. job is like, what are all of these little details that we have to futz together? Like, one of the venues we're working at doesn't have laundry. But, of course, all the shows that are there need to be able to do laundry each day. So what relationship can we have with our neighbors there to allow them to open their space so that this other theater company can do laundry in their space? You know, like, what people can we work with to very generously give us their apartment for the summer so we can have an artist yeah. stay there for three weeks or more, you know? And I mean, you know about kind of all the relationships, Tanara, you, you know as well, like all the relationships that we're building kind of around uh, our, our public practice work this year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a number of phone calls that is exponentially more than the number of presentations <laughs> we will eventually yes. present. Then even likely how many people will see it, right? right? And it's, it's, it's really kind of about stewarding these projects to not just to completion, not just to achievement, but to... Um, a, what, what we would determine as a su- successful presentation is one in which nobody knows that all of this stuff happened. Right. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It, it yeah. has to look excellent and in, 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 uh, effortless and, in, and also so, that, being... so that that doesn't get in the way of how it can impact an audience. Yeah. How, can, how, how the art itself can, can mm-hmm. uh, interface with an audience. And also be easy for the artist. Yeah. You know, like we're yeah. thinking about our audiences all the time, but particularly in the Fringe Festival, where we have more people traveling from out of town, whether that's just from New York or from Belgium, you know, we want to make mm-hmm. sure that they have an easy experience, exactly. too, in terms of their travel and hospitality. And for many of them, it's their first time in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So we also do a lot of work around that to 
be good ambassadors for our city. Well, let me ask you a pretty philosophical question. Ooh. I think we spend a lot of time thinking of in, in people who work in the performance industry that, you know, so you, you said, Zach, a successful iteration of this presentation would be one where the the logistical stuff is in, is hidden from the audience, mm-hmm. um, that they don't know that these are all the things we have to think about in order to present them an impactful experience. But I wonder, you know, in my position, when I manage the ambassador program, one of the joys that the ambassadors have mm-hmm. is to find out all of the things that went in to the decision to bring this piece or to the creation of this piece if they're hearing directly from the artist. And so the lifting of the veil makes them feel more connected to the industry mm-hmm. and therefore better stewards of the industry to a, like a public audience. I just wonder, like, the culture that we have in this country in particular separates performance as, like, a product that's, like, really shiny with a bow in it for a public. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that actually serves us. Because does that actually create a bigger distance between the performance and the audience? Well, I don't think it does. Because what's important to me is to recede a little bit mm-hmm. into the background in, in the relationship between artists and audience. I want for them to interact with the work with no other expectations than the ones that the artist wants to give them. I see. Right. So backing up a little bit, um, I think that like the presenter-producer kind of uh, by bisecting like uh, is not necessarily all the time um, firm, right? But I do think that we're we're an arts presenter. We're not producing most of this work. Um, so for me to take any kind of like uh, role in interceding in the relationship between uh, audience and artist does not feel deeply appropriate to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the um, all of this is so, so interesting and so cool. For me, it's like, I, w- I would rather do a wrap up of that after the festival, after everyone's yeah. seen the work, mm-hmm. than um, to in some way corrupt the expectations mm-hmm. uh, that a person has going into uh, this experience. Because I want them to, to feel the way I felt when I saw it saw some of this work for the first time not mm-hmm. to feel that way but to have the the benefit of a certain amount of blinders about just i'm here to see the piece well to play devil's advocate because i get what do it this is. is the sexy thing and that i, I wanted yes. to and i get what Zach is saying i think well i'm probably are, wrong but yeah. no but i think there are curators or producers in the world who are very much interested in facilitating experience mm-hmm. that is guided on an understanding of personal taste And I think our ethic Mm -hmm. as we curate this festival is opposite of that. Mm -hmm. We're not interested in this being the Zach and Katie show. You will know more about us by watching these pieces. That is not an interest of ours. But I do think we're interested in arming the audience with context should they be interested in it. Mm -hmm. And I think one way that we're doing that this year is through the Festival Bookstore, which we're Mm -hmm. super excited about, which will give people an opportunity to come to podcast recordings, talks with other artists, and dialogue with community partners about the work. Oh, yeah. We're also working with our marketing team to provide a number of essays and other kind of context-building materials that people can read. So I think that kind of work we definitely want to share with people mm-hmm. if they're interested in it, and that also gives them an opportunity to figure out, do I want that pre-show, post-show, in the middle of the show? They can kind of design their own experience. This, like, behind-the-scenes veil of, like, the budget was really crazy to figure out, but we did it in this <laughs> way, or... This is how we did the, the genie lift moment in the show right, or something. Yeah. That stuff is less... I think, like, we are so happy to talk about that with people, but as we seek to facilitate a great relationship for the artist and mm-hmm. a great relationship for the audience, we don't want them to worry about that kind of 
of stuff. It, we kind of feel like in a small way, like the invisible hostess. Mm -hmm. Like we want to prepare a really beautiful experience for people and I don't want them to worry about like how much it costs at Axie. Exactly. And if they like want to talk about that with me later, we're happy to be open to that. But for the most part, we want people to come and enjoy and experience it and talk to each other. And then, yeah, we are happy to do podcast episode X mm -hmm. afterwards to like hear about the surprising experiences and challenges hard won in French Festival 2019. And it's not about gatekeeping, right? If there's a young producer or a, a, a producer of any age, right, who is maybe, uh, I'm interested in, in, in being a curator or anything like that, you are always welcome to come talk to us. And all the context and thematics that we're going to talk about here are just things that we discuss and we're interested in yours as well. You know, um, you can always shoot an email to us and, and ask us what we think about work or anything like that. And we'll probably give you a, a, a time that you can come speak to us in person about that. Really interested. I love asking really pointed, biased, uh, provocative questions because they get such good answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the festival bookstore. I think we should talk about the festival bookstore. Let's talk this more about the festival bookstore. The festival bookstore is back. Uh, it's, uh, we did take a little break last year. We for, took a breather. We took a breather. Yeah, there, there were a lot of reasons for that that we are not going to get into. That's that's some behind the curtain stuff. <laughs> but uh, we're back with the festival bookstore in partnership with Headhouse Books and Cherry Street Pier. Uh, it'll also be a, a kind of site for uh, additional engagement. We keep talking about this idea of self-selected uh, engagement, that you can be a person who just sees the show, and that's great, and we completely support you in that. You can be a person who sees the show and talks about it at the bar after with your friends, or you can be a person who sees the show and then comes and talks to us with, about it, you know, in the festival bookstore context, and then buys a book. You know that the artist says is uh, in part source material or uh, that is just written by the artist or that um, maybe you'll never understand the connection between this book and the work you saw and the artist practice who, who recommended it but it just gives people another layer of engagement another way to get um, their head deeper and deeper and deeper in the festival yeah so we're gonna have live podcast recordings with artists we're gonna have artist talks we're gonna have community talks where um, our community Philadelphia partners on particular shows are going to be engaging with the themes of the piece, either with or without the artist. There will be, like Zach mentioned, books and essays and publications and periodicals that artists have suggested we stock in the mm -hmm. bookstore and others, I would say, as well. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. also at Cherry Street Pier, yep. which is a great place to go. It'll be open on festival weekends, so not during the week, but you know, as you're kind of figuring out your festival schedule, make sure to plan to stop by just to check it out. Uh, for members, we new this year are also going to be giving out free tote bags. So um, get your membership now. Put on a tote. Yes, get your membership now and get your tote during the Fringe Festival. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Just carry your books? Uh, yeah, <laughs> cover your arms. <laughs> but no, it's deeply exciting. Cherry Street Pier has been an amazing partner um, and just a really, really cool site within our neighborhood. So just to have them right across the street, with all of, activated by all of these artists. Um, doing the great programming that they're doing. It's been really, really nice and uh, kind of stimulating for us to have, find a partner there um, and to have a second site for the festival that's so, so close. Plus, it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You can take an Instagram there. I'll get likes. So we've been circling around the general programming and theme of the festival, but let's really dive in and talk about what's actually going to be happening during the 2019 Fringe Festival. 
Yeah, so the 2019 Fringe Festival is what we call our flagship program. So we have a whole host of festivals that happen throughout the year, but the Fringe Festival happens in the month of September for about three weeks. We're doing a little bit longer than that with one of our presentations, uh, Let Me Die, by the, Joseph, by the artist Joseph Kepler, created in collaboration with O Festival this year. But otherwise, it's predominantly in the month of September, and it involves curated shows, which Zach and I will talk about, and also our independent artists who will be creating new works and presenting them all throughout the city in a variety of different venues. But it's notable that the curated shows that we'll talk about happen both in our home venue here at the intersection of Race and Columbus, but also in other places throughout the city, whether they're outside, in venues like Christ Church Neighborhood House that we often use year after year, or new places like 2300 Arena that we're using for the first time. Yeah, so um, as we kind of alluded to in the past, we don't really um, do our booking here based on any thematic element. Um, really, we go in uh, looking for balance, um, looking for a kind of diversity of form. Um, that's really how we start. But once everything comes together and you really start digging into some of the, uh, the thoughts and considerations that the artists are making in their work, some themes do start to emerge. Um, and that's just truly serendipitous. <clears throat> One theme that we uh, have been thinking about a little bit uh, here in the office is uh, kind of the conceit of the individual body, the public body, maybe the absence of body. What does it mean to be present in space? Um, really looking at uh, kind of uh, Umbal is one of those shows. Uh, Umbal is a piece, uh, a public practice work uh, for a group of dancers. It's uh, co-authored by a group of Philadelphians who each donated 30 seconds of dance that was then stitched together by a team into a uh, kind of uh, movement processional um, that looks at uh, how a collective body takes up public space um, and who has a right to public space um, and what does it mean to be visible um, as a coherent unit, um, a group that's clearly showing that they're taking care of each other and looking out for each other through the unison of dance. So that's an amazing piece that will be happening the first two weekends of our festival. It's really helmed by the Mexican choreographer Mariana Arteaga and will be happening outside in a South Philadelphia neighborhood around Mifflin Square Park. But thinking about that same thematic, you know, another corollary to that might be the singular body. And so thinking again about a work of dance, we're excited to be bringing back the choreographer Andresa de Kiersmacher with her piece, Thaza which is one of the first pieces that she ever choreographed when she was a student at New York University in the 80s. This is a duet for two dancers that at one point is a solo just for an individual, and it's based on music by Steve Reich and his compositional principle of phasing, which is what the title alludes to as well. So while the composition and the dancers start in unison, they slowly begin to phase out of sync with each other and then have moments of repetition within close proximity, but not exactly the same. So questioning what it means to move from this singular kind of determined body to bodies that might become subtly, but certainly notably distinct from each other. Another piece that's really looking at this idea of body and the presence of body in space is the Worcester Group's The B-Side, Negro Folklore from Texas State Prisons, a record album interpretation. In the piece, Eric Berryman, who's the lead artist uh, in, in, in this particular uh, production from the Worcester Group, uh, has an in-ear monitor in which a record album, the Negro Folklore from Texas State Prisons, is being 
transmitted into his ear and then transmitted to us, the audience, via him singing with a group of people, with a, a group of ensemble members. What's interesting about that is how it renders in kind of three-dimensional um, space the experiences of these people from years and years and years ago. So by having a body kind of be this intermediary between this sound and us and audience, uh, everything feels more fleshed out, more round, um, and you really do uh, kind of experience this music through a, a different gravity. Um, it's a really, really interesting piece. And I'm so excited for that me one. Me too. I'm <laughs> so excited. I saw that St. Anne's Warehouse, actually, a great, oh. great partner um, of Fringe Arts, and it was really, really lovely, and I'm really excited to bring it to Philadelphia yeah. specifically. And one thing about this piece that I think is particularly notable is that it shows aspects of our government, of our prison industrial complex, and of racism more broadly that often sits beneath the surface. This particular album that Eric found is actually from 1965 and depicts songs that were sung in Texas state prisons where workers were required without any recourse or opportunity from themselves to work in these prison farms and really speaks to this larger history of subjugation that is certainly the bedrock of a lot of our American government and history, but something that often is beneath the surface. So that's another one of the themes of a number of presentations that are in our festival this year, are these kind of subterranean or often invisible systems that certainly have outsized effects on the way that we live our lives mm -hmm. and the work that artists create that depict the systems that certainly affect us, but that we don't always see. Um, so one group that's thinking about these things in a more conceptual way than the B-side is Pig Iron Theater Company, local here from Philadelphia. They're creating a new work that will premiere the first two weekends of the festival called Superterranean. And they're working with lead artist Mimi Lian, who's a company member and a very celebrated set designer. And for the first time, they are leading their devising process from the set and the design of the theatrical space itself. So Mimi, throughout the devising process, has been thinking about subterranean passageways or systems, whether it be for public transit or otherwise, that really power our universe, but that are often not fully present or visible to the naked eye. Another piece that's kind of thinking about kind of what remains unsaid or just right beneath the surface as far as um, kind of our society and how we all interact with each other is Nature Theater of Oklahoma and NMAP's kind of collaborative piece, Pursuit of Happiness. The piece asks, a simple question um, that should maybe follow uh, every clause in our Constitution, every clause in our Bill of Rights, um, and it just says, for who? I think it's very, very interesting. It takes a, a good look at the mythology of an American dream, as well as the reality of one, and kind of um, who's paying for it, you know? Where, where, where is the bill addressed? Um, it's a really, really, really interesting piece. I hope you all come out. It's uh, very, very zany in portions. It feels... Uh, almost like cartoony to a certain degree, and then all of a sudden uh, very sobering mm -hmm. in a way that is, is, is kind of bisected very interestingly. I think it, it does a good way, or it does a good job of preparing you for an experience and subverting that experience almost immediately after. Another example is the work Cartography by Kinesa Shaw and Christopher Myers that we'll be presenting at Christchurch Neighborhood House the second weekend of our festival. This is a piece that recently premiered at the Kennedy Center a couple of months ago where I saw it, and we're really excited to be bringing it to Philadelphia. 
It's a work that was created in response to and also in collaboration with a number of young people who have recently migrated to the United States from places around the world, whether they be Syria or Venezuela, South Africa or Mexico. And working with these young people, Kaniza and Chris really sought to illuminate the histories of migration, both in this present moment and more broadly throughout our history, whether it be cause of social injustice, a desire for greater economic freedom, or because of global warming or other environmental related disasters. So there's actually a moment within the piece where all audience members are encouraged to bring out their phones and using technology in real time to chart their own family's migratory journey, acknowledging that there are very few of us who are indigenous to the land upon which we are here in Philadelphia, and as such that we all, or at least most of us, have a relationship to migratory patterns in ways that, again, are often obscured or elided over as history has continued. I think about all uh, our friends who um, ask their parents, you know, where are we from? What, what's, what's our culture? And get the answer, we're American, again and again. And that, that's becoming this thing that I think is, is common now, to have some people with almost no sense of where they're from. So this is really only a sampling of the shows that we'll be presenting as a, a, the curated section of the 2019 Fringe Festival. And we urge you to go to FringeArts.com or download the Fringe Arts app or come down to Fringe Arts and pick up a guide, maybe have a beverage with one of us. There's usually one of us downstairs, you know, eating a cheese curd or relaxing. Um, and we look forward to seeing you at the 2019 Curated Fringe Festival. It's going to be so good. So good. Also, at the time this episode is coming out, we do not yet have guides available. But we will have teasers, so do come and get a teaser. You can read all about our curated shows. And in August, make sure you join us on August 2nd for our Festival Guide Launch Happy Hour, where we will have guides available for you to pick up and start planning your full festival schedule. But never fear, because all of the curated shows are online and on the app. And you can start getting your tickets now. So if you're literally just at the edge of your seat, waiting to find out when you can come see the B-side, for example. You don't have to wait, my friends. You can go on the website. <laughs> and if you have any additional questions about shows, you're always welcome to reach out to someone from Fringe Arts, and they're happy to contextualize the work for you. Yeah, and we'll be announcing further late-night programming here at Fringe Arts that we offer free of charge to everybody, as well as the full slate of our talks and community conversations at the Fringe Festival Bookstore. We encourage you to become a member at Fringe Arts to receive 20% off of all tickets that you purchase, as well as year-round benefits such as a free Fringe Arts tote bag coming up and free ticket exchanges, uh, invites to special events, and all kinds of other benefits that are really exciting that you can learn more about at fringearts.com membership. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Happy Hour on the Fringe. The Fringe Festival will be running from September 6th to the 22nd. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram, and download the Fringe Arts app. Check out all of our shows and with ticket information at www.fringearts.com.